Welcome to the podcast Bench Talk. I'm Jo Hilditch, High Sheriff of Herefordshire. Today I'm talking to John Eden, who is the Chief Executive of the Herefordshire Association for the Blind, as well as being the Director of Music at St Martin's Hereford. As well as being a deeply Christian man, John also runs the Hereford Church Singers, about which we're going to talk today. Our bench talk today is sitting at the mighty organ of the Church of St Martin's. So John, hello. Hello. So just give me a bit of background. So where are you from and how did you arrive here? I was brought up in Abergavenny and after university and a couple of jobs working with churches in the north of England, I ultimately relocated to Hereford um, and subsequently became Director of Music here at St Martin's and a year later in 2009 became the Director of Music of the Hereford Church Singers. But take me right back and tell me, how did your passion for music start and why? Well, I was very fortunate that uh, in my younger days, when I was in primary school, we had a very good uh, class music teacher who uh, took us through uh, the rigorous uh, regime that she adopted for teaching singing and instrumental music. And a little bit later on, then I joined a singing class, which was run by a local GP and anaesthetist in Abergavenny, and he uh, used to teach young people uh, the rudiments of music and how to sing uh, with the intention I think ultimately of feeding his adult choir when they became good enough. So it was one of those kind of amazing things that happened back in those days where you were just you found it through finding somebody who really gave you a passion for something you didn't know you had a passion for I guess. Yeah it certainly brought it out. Lloyd Davis was a, a great mover and shaker in amateur music making in particular and it was very fortunate that I happened upon his singing class on the recommendation of a friend of the family. And I was there for about six years, six, seven years, and then I joined his adult choir as a, an alto in those days. But you, you taught yourself how to play the organ, I think. It was needs must, really, as with a lot of organists in, in parishes, you end up doing it because you're the token musician. And when an organist doesn't turn up, they look to the next available person. It happens to be, in this, in this case, me. But it's not a, straight, a straightforward instrument. I mean, you've got two, two clefs or two keys and then you've got your feet as well. It looks very complicated to me. And that I was, play the piano. That was the appeal. I think it's, it's got a unique appeal because no two instruments are the same. Uh, and you have got to get around the instrument very quickly if you are uh, playing somewhere on an infrequent basis. Then you need to be able to make something quite good come out of it very rapidly. So you didn't have any kind of classical training at all? Not in the organ sense, no. Um, all my tutoring as such came through the singing route. Uh, I sang in choirs as a younger person and during university and beyond I've always sung in choirs or been involved with choirs. So before we come back to your choir and your position here as uh, Director of Music, can we just talk a little bit more about your, your more day job? Yes, certainly. I'm the Chief Executive of the Herefordshire Association for the Blind, which is based in Hereford, but is a county-wide organisation. And that is an organisation which does a number of things. Uh, one is deliver the sensory contract for the council throughout the county. So that's both hearing impaired and, uh, and sight impaired. And we also run activities, clubs, groups, training for people with vision impairments of every degree. It's not just people who are totally blind, it's for people with every kind of vision impairment. 
And so there's, it's a charity, I presume? It is a charity, based in Hereford. We're very fortunate we own our own premises, so we're slap bang in the middle of Widemarsh Street, uh, and we have uh, a number of schemes of work going on all the time, uh, working with vision-impaired people. And I imagine there's a, a huge amount of volunteers as well, are they? Yes, we've got a significant them? number of volunteers. They are all engaged with mainly home visiting and trips and activities. That's the two main thrusts of our voluntary effort. And is there an association with Royal National College for the Blind? Not formal. Uh, we do have occasional students down on work placements and uh, experience uh, sessions. Sometimes that can be as much as six months, other times it's just for a few hours a week and sometimes it's a sort of defined period of say a fortnight for a particular qualification or an outcome they want in examination terms. Mm. Mm. And I imagine that Herefordshire because of the Royal National Blind College has still got a lot of visually impaired and hearing impaired people around, well that vision impaired people around. Yes, it, it, a lot of people who attend the college end up staying, uh, staying in Hereford because the community is very accepting of people with vision impairment. There's a long history of uh, VI teaching in the city going back sort of best part of half a century uh, and people feel comfortable here and they feel supported mm. and uh, that is all to the good. And is there more that the county could be doing in terms of uh, visually impaired? We're very fortunate in Herefordshire the council have stuck by their uh, policy of uh, supporting people with equipment when many other counties have given that up mm. so we're mm. very fortunate in that respect. I mean, of course, with um, limited budgets now, everybody's cutting back on everything. So let's hope they keep it there. Yes. So let's talk about uh, let's talk about the choir, which is your more your voluntary side of things. Um, and some little birdie told me that you were one of the most important people in music in Herefordshire. So I know that your choir is fantastic. So let's let's hear all about it. Well, the Hereford Church Singers is a peripatetic choir. Uh, we visit churches that don't offer what would, might be described as a musical uh, tradition of their own, no choirs or whatever. Uh, we go there to uh, perhaps lift their spirits, give them a bit of a springboard uh, and to give them an experience of choral, choral music which perhaps they might not get in their ordinary worship. We tend to be invited for specific calendar events in the Christian year, so Easter, Pentecost uh, and some of the more obvious uh, general festivals like uh, uh, Harvest and Christmas and Remembrance. Uh, those are very popular and there are pinch points for the choir in terms of engagements. But that's the ethos of the choir. It's there to provide music for places that would otherwise not get it. We've, we've got to get you to Lion's Hall. <laughs> yeah. Happy to come. Happy to come. <laughs> so entirely voluntary and all ages? Or? Yeah, all ages. People going right through from just left school in college right through to 80 plus, um, as long as they're vocally fit. And so they, they are, don't come necessarily with any kind of musical background? Not necessarily, but most people in the choir have had some exposure to choral singing, often uh, in college or in school, they've, they've got the appetite for it and have taken it up later in life or returning to it or have moved to the area and have taken up with us uh, to replace a choir they've left. So there are a variety of reasons why people end up with us, but it's a very positive, I hope we generate a very positive and welcoming attitude and people feel comfortable in being in the choir and they seem to stay for quite a long time when they come. So and and you, perform, you perform mainly church music? Or? It's almost exclusively church music. Yeah. That was the ethos of the choir. We do do some secular work. Uh, but it's mainly church-based work, and that's the, our comfort zone. And we sometimes push the envelope with things, but that's where the demand is 
for our services is, mm. is through the sort of um, church-based work. I mean, I think probably there are many people like me who don't know much about church music. I mean, why, why don't I know it? I think we've become disassociated with our culture. What was culturally acceptable in the past in terms of um, the kinds of liturgy and uh, language used in church, that has been somewhat diluted, shall we say, and in some places been lost altogether. Uh, And some of that wonder has been lost and the music that goes with it is also lost. Mm. Um, So so it's it's, a changing liturgy has meant that we've uh, lost some of the tradition. It's not helped. You can successfully marry some modern liturgy with the music that has been composed years ago, but it, it sits best in the language of the service for which it was written, which in Anglican church terms is the Book of Common Prayer. I think I know the answer to this question, but but what do you think the death knell is of, of music today, live music today? It's it's digital, on-demand yeah. music, I'm afraid. that's It's so convenient and uh, it can often be free at the point of need. So uh, those people that want music for events and so forth, you can do that often very cost-effectively. Uh, whereas if you engage musicians, it's going to cost you mm. whatever they require in terms of payment. I mean, speaking more broadly about music in the community, where do, where do you see it going and, and how, where do you see the problems to be such that we're not engaged with music in, in the same way as we used to be? Well, we treat music like wallpaper and it's got to be brought centre stage rather than being something that's on in the lift when you're going into a building. Uh, We need to get people at a young age, uh, uh, capture their interest and maintain that interest, particularly at key points when they transfer schools, uh, and we need to get the work at primary level really uh, buzzing again, which it was when I was growing up. The primary music curriculum was a vibrant part of the school week. Uh, I can't think that that is the same now. And the result of that is you've got fewer people uh, engaged in music. And by the time they get to secondary level, there are other pressures on their time. Uh, unless they're particularly uh, motivated or they've got good peripatetic teachers, it's very often difficult to maintain that enthusiasm. Are you, are you pessimistic about music in the community? Or do you see a movement back towards kids taking up instruments and so on? Uh, it's tricky. I think there is definitely an appetite for music making because there are lots of groups uh, that have developed uh, over the last 15 or so years, community choirs, that kind of endeavour, which are on the back of some well-known television yes. presentations, but it has brought people into music. And once they get into it at that level, there is a possibility of taking it to a different level. Uh, some people are happy to stay in what might be described as a community choir, but there are other people who might think, well, actually, this takes me back to when I was in a choir. I'd like to be able to sing these things again. And we very often get people coming to the choir who have come from a tradition of singing sort of fairly significant works at key points of the year. So there'd be uh, the Foray Requiem, they'd want to sing around about all souls and they'd like to do that again. And the things they'd like to sing at Easter because they used to sing it at Easter. And that's the link that you can keep live. And if you can just sort of fan that flame, you can get people to to engage again, but it is it is a challenge. Mm. With I mean, so it's not other... just about singing either, is it? It's about playing instruments, and I suppose having teachers in the schools who are musical or can even just play the piano is an accompaniment. That is a problem. It, it is about the lack of uh, instrumentalists generally 
in teaching who are able to give the time to it. Uh, and that is the other thing. The pressures in the curriculum mean that mm. even a teacher with the skills hasn't always got the time to be able to take the broad sweep across the, the school and take that work forward. So I suppose you find yourself quite busy in local schools as well. I have been, not so much in Hereford. We're fortunate with the, because it's a city, there's quite a lot of active musicians, so we don't have so many challenges. But in the past, I have done quite a lot of work in primary schools uh, at pinch points when they wanted live music. So what is your choir best at? What's their best piece? Uh, they like, I would say, things like uh, Romantic, um, Foray. They like uh, Stanford, Charles Wood. Uh, what might be described as sort of core, central church music. But they also like polyphonic music, so we do sing Palestrina, we do sing uh, Victoria, we do sing Talis and Bird, early music, uh, which they very much enjoy, which is much more of a challenge because it's unaccompanied, so you've got to really hold your part. Uh, and then we sing things right through to the Edwardian era, uh, and then up to date with modern settings by composers that are still alive. Mm. So it's a, it's a full full range of music from uh, mid-1500s uh, right up to date. You threw in a word, polyphonic. Mm-hmm. What's that? Polyphonic is where you've got a number of uh, vocal parts uh, interchanging with each other. Uh, it's not uh, homophonic, it's, it's a variety of parts all doing different things, sometimes copying each other, sometimes passing things on. But it's a more complex form of music than perhaps plain song, which people might vaguely recognise as uh, monks singing in a cloistered yeah. environment. Yeah. So polyphonic music is a development, uh, an early development of music. Well, I mean, your choir sounds fantastic. I can't wait till you come out to Lions Hall and give, a, or maybe Pembridge, and give us a, a concert out there. We'll um, be glad we'll, to do it. We'll look forward to that. But do you have time for anything else? Uh, well, I do a bit of uh, cycling. I do a bit of walking, a bit of travel, read so, books, that kind of thing. Sounds like you're pretty busy with all this stuff. So the, all the choir stuff is voluntary. I suppose you have to practice once a week. Yeah, rehearse once a week on a Wednesday, and uh, we then uh, take about an hour before any engagement to run through in the place where we are performing and uh, that's just to, because every building is different we need to get the acoustics sorted out and the placing of the instruments and the instrumentalists but yeah it's once a week and the choir is very much up to being able to work on that basis a lot of time and how many engagements a year pre-covid we were up to about 30 35 uh, at the moment we're running at about 20s mid 20s so booking for this year or booking absolutely for next year? Yeah, booking for this year okay. some some in for next year as well uh, which is very positive we've got a lot of uh, returners shall we say who uh, have us every year to sing weddings particular fest. we do weddings yeah obviously that's been on hold for the last couple of years yeah. with covid but we do sing at weddings and other kinds of sort of significant events for people yeah. so talking of covid i imagine it has been very affecting for for you and your choir well, the church basically closed down, down yeah. uh, on a physical basis for a significant period. So effectively, 2020 was pretty much written off. And uh, 2021 was very slow in the first few months. So towards the end of the year, we did some engagements. So getting and, back in there now, anyway. Yeah, we're back back firing on all, all cylinders. So we're very optimistic about... And your choir will come back, have they? Yes, absolutely. Good. Yeah, that's really positive. Good. And you don't have to sing in masks. That would be a disaster. No, that, that would be challenging. Um, <laughs> it's bad enough having to play the organ in the mask with glasses. You don't have to play the organ in well, the Well, in mask, certain you. places you do, because you're in close, or you were in close proximity to the congregation. Here it's not so bad. 
but uh, in, in some of the smaller country parishes you're very close to the congregation to maintain a distance you would have to wear a mask and that's a bit of a challenge. I bet, I bet. So now we'll just come to the things that I always ask people in my podcasts and that is what are your three top tips for Herefordshire for tourism? Definitely go to a choral service in Hereford Cathedral. Probably a, an even song on a Saturday would be a very good starting point. Um, definitely a world-class uh, environment musically and well worth the three quarters of an hour that you'd have to give over to that. Um, definitely worth going to Ledbury to see um, a market town in full flow on a, on a busy day, a splendid place. Uh, lots of interesting things going on in Ledbury. And obviously come to St Martin's to look at our connections with the SAS uh, and our uh, historic bell tower with its bell from the 1851 Great Exhibition, which is uh, something that we are about to get electrified with the clock mechanism. So all worth seeing here. That is really the, the encapsulation of what goes on at St Martin's. Well, we're recording just right next to your organ and the organ that you can hear in the background of this podcast is is uh, John playing the organ as we chat, although actually it wasn't at the same time because that might be quite hard. Um, and it really is a beautiful church. I've never, I've never stopped here before and it's wonderful. So thank you, John, for this enlightening chat today and for your thoughts around music of Herefordshire as well as of that in schools. And thank you for training your choir so beautifully for so many years that the music that you share with the community at large is so appreciated and applauded. And you are too. Thank you very much. Thank you.